want to be like Jesus, who left his throne on high, for hell-deserving sinners to live and work and die. Forsaking all his glory, his power he laid aside, his entry low a manger, his exit crucified. We human fools rejected and left to stand alone, the only real victor this world has ever known. By men despised, rejected, by devils deified, by friends denied, forsaken, by angels glorified. I'll live and die for Jesus, battling for the right, proclaiming Christ's salvation to sinners left and right. I will not be a mannequin to live in ease at home. I'll be a Christian warrior who loves with Christ to roam. I will not be a skulker, those words ring in my ear. Shall your brethren go to war, and ye shall ye sit here? I'd sooner be a skeptic who ne'er confessed Christ's name than make a great confession, but fear to play the game. The beginning of a poem called Chutney by C.T. Studd from a book Quaint Rhymes for the Battlefield. Welcome back to From Heaven to Eternity, my Bible study podcast. I'm Brian, and today we're going to switch it up again. We've been walking chapter by chapter through the book of Matthew, but in this episode, I'll be taking another short break. This podcast aims first and foremost to present the gospel of Jesus Christ and to focus on how that truth is presented throughout all of scripture in one unified story. I also want to enable us to be better disciple-making disciples of Jesus. This includes studying scripture, talking about missional living, and equipping us to all have more gospel conversations within our own communities and beyond. Because of all of this, I want to occasionally take a step back from our study and highlight the lives of specific missionaries, pastors, and authors who you might not have otherwise known about. I have no interest in painting any of these individuals as super-Christians or perfect men. I simply want to chat through some stories about how God uses broken people to do extraordinary things for his own glory. These random episodes are not meant to create false idols, but are instead meant to encourage true hope. Hope that God can work in and through our lives to create real transformation and to use us to bring truth and light to others. Today I'm picking a dude who most of my listeners have probably never heard of. The life of C.T. Studd is a story of an all-England cricket player who gave up everything in the late 1800s to be a humanitarian and a missionary, first to China and India and then to the Belgian Congo and Africa. His decisions required uncomfortable gospel conversations with his own family, with those he was close to, and with those who he traveled the world in search of. He gave up a life of coziness and comfort to engage lost people from different cultures, with different worldly needs in locations that spanned the globe. I pray that as we chat about the amazing ways God worked in and through this man, that we would be encouraged and emboldened. God doesn't call all of us to pick up our things, leave our communities, and engage in global missions. But, as a follower of Jesus, we need to be reminded that God calls all Christians into evangelistic relationships with others. That God calls us to avoid bubbles of comfort and ease. That God calls us to live a life surrendered to Him and open to the reality that God could call any of us into a drastically different situation 
than we're currently in. As with the introduction, I'm going to be quoting C.T. Studd himself a lot in this episode. So here's another excerpt from his poem, Jesus Only. Oh, it's good to belong to Jesus. It's the only life to live. It's glorious fun. It's heaven's begun when you've got no more to give. Away with hesitation. Man, take the plunge and try. Give heart and all to Jesus. Then take your wings and fly. Charles Thomas Studd was born in England in 1860, and from a very young age was an excellent cricket player. So I barely know the first thing about cricket, and I'm not going to read off any of his stats. They would probably be as meaningless to you as they are to me. All I know from all of my readings is that by age 16, he was considered an expert cricket player. He was the captain of his cricket team his senior year. He went on to attend Trinity College, Cambridge to play cricket for them. He played there with his two other brothers, and eventually he became one of the finest cricket players in England, amateur or pro. He was considered an all-England cricketeer. But more extraordinarily than coming from a comfortable background, getting a first-class education, and setting himself up for a life as a celebrity cricket player in England, was his absolute reluctance to let his achievements define who he was. Norman Grubb, in his biography of Stud, writes, The man who went all out to be an expert cricket player later went all out to glorify his savior and extend his kingdom. Stud came to faith in his late teenage years. He recalls, I used to think that religion was just a Sunday thing, like one Sunday clothes, to be put away on Monday morning. We boys were brought up to go to church regularly, and although we had a kind of religion, it didn't amount to much. It was just like having a toothache. We were always sorry to have Sunday come, and glad when it was Monday morning. He admits that he wasn't actually saved until 1877, at age 18. CT notes the events of that day. I got down on my knees and I did say, thank you to God. And right then and there, joy and peace came into my soul. I knew then what it was to be born again. And the Bible, which had been so dry to me before, became everything. His two brothers were also saved that same day, after conversations with that same guy, each without having the other brothers know. They only found out about each other's conversions after their father wrote all three of them in a joint letter congratulating them on their conversions. Stud later admitted that while his conversion was true, it didn't instantly transform all the aspects of his life that he wanted, and he says that instead of going and telling others of the love of Christ, I was selfish and kept my knowledge to myself. The result was that gradually my love began to grow cold and the love of the world began to come in. I spent six years in that unhappy, backslidden state. Part of Stud's turning toward living a life open-handed for Jesus involved starting a Bible study at his college with his brothers. He also began to use the cricket platform he had to engage in gospel conversations with other athletes. In his own words, Stud had come to realize that the cricket season came round and I thought I must go into the cricket field and get the men there to know the Lord Jesus. Formerly, I had as much a love for cricket as any man could have, but when the Lord Jesus came into my heart, I found that I had something infinitely better than cricket. My heart was no longer in the game. I wanted to win souls for the Lord. 
I knew that cricket would not last, and honor would not last, and nothing in this world would last, but it was worthwhile living for the world to come. He once said, I do not say don't play games or cricket and so forth. By all means, play and enjoy them, giving thanks to Jesus for them. Only take care that games do not become an idol to you as they did for me. What good will it do anybody in the next world to have the best player that has ever been? And then think of the difference between that and winning souls for Jesus. Stud's most famous quote is probably the poem, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. As he matured and his passion for Christ grew and grew, he started to feel a pull toward mission work. And in February 1885, against a lot of his friends and his family's advice, he ventured on mission to China as an associate member of the Inland China Mission. He was part of a group called the Cambridge Seven. He recalls that God had given me far more than was sufficient to keep my body and soul together. And I thought, how could I spend the best years of my life in working for myself and the honors and pleasures of this world, while thousands of souls are perishing every day without having heard of Christ? Matthew 16, verses 24 through 27 say, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what will a man give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will render to everyone according to his deeds. These deeds Jesus is referring to are the acts that flow out of our faith. A true faith produces as its evidence fruitful deeds. The Cambridge Seven boarded a boat, started speaking the good news of Jesus from day one, and preached a message that saw even sailors aboard their transport ship come to Christ. Once in inland China, they adopted the dress, speech, and hardships of that culture. Per grub, they believed the only way of reaching the Chinese of inland China was to become like them. The Apostle Paul writes in his first letter to the church at Corinth, I have become all things to all men, that I may by all means save some. Stud got married, had a child, and he almost died himself in China, but he spent 10 years there, successfully on mission for Christ. 10 years in China, then time back in England, some time guest lecturing in America, and then 6 years pastoring in India, but it was all just a prelude to God's greatest calling for CT a calling that would take up the rest of his life. Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. C.T. Studd In 1910, Studd was confronted with the reality of just how unreached the nations of Central Africa were with the gospel. So in 1913, against medical advice, Studd visited the Belgian Congo. With very brief breaks back to England, this is the region where he would spend the rest of his life. When his wife became ill and had to return to England, she spent her time raising awareness and support for CT's mission work. Then, in 1928, she made a short visit to the Congo to see her husband. 
It would be their last time seeing each other, as she would pass away a year later. While in Central Africa, C.T. and his associates labored alongside the villagers to support the needs of the people. They also spread the message of Jesus, set up numerous missional sites, performed baptisms, and saw the Holy Spirit transform the hearts and souls of the previously unreached. While in the Congo, the man who had left behind the potential of a lavish, comfortable lifestyle associated with cricket stardom, instead lived in a small hut given to him by a tribal chief. Norman Grubb describes it as a circular hut, the walls made of split bamboos tied together with native string, a grass roof and dried mud floor, cracked and patched and repatched. C.T. actually had a small native bed on one side and a shelf of used Bibles on the other. During the last two years of his life, he is noted as having suffered from weakness, nausea, a few heart attacks, gallstones, violent shivering, and attacks of breathlessness, but he was not to be discouraged. He is quoted as having said, My only joys, therefore, are that when God has given me a work to do, I have not refused it. In 1931, Stud passed away, in the Belgian Congo, from untreated gallstones. His work was taken over by, among others, Norman Grubb, who is the author of one of the biography books I've used for this episode's research. The last word he spoke was hallelujah. This is an excerpt from his poem, Christian's Delight, and I think it sums up his life fairly well. Now Christ's command is simple and meant to be obeyed. Go ye and preach my gospel in every land, he said. Christ hadn't any favorites, he lived and died for all, so all should know the message and hear his gracious call. So I'll go and face the music in some dark, far-off land where no one's ever been before for Christ to make a stand. I'll leave the 99 behind and seek the wandering sheep to bring it back to Jesus Christ and lay it at his feet. The way may not be easy, the grub not over good, the climate may be treacherous, the men a devil's brood. But what of that my Jesus suffered torture and the cross for me the chief of sinners, lest I should suffer loss. It may mean death or poverty, or grief or pain or shame, but what of that the martyrs lived and suffered just the same. I wouldn't want to live at all unless it was to fight for Jesus Christ and sinful men, morning, noon, and night. And in some fierce hot battle, fighting I'd love to die, watching for Jesus' coming, to carry me home on high. What got me started processing through highlighting how God used C.T. Studd's life for God's own glory was actually Studd's own book. It's a book called Chocolate Soldier. I heard him mentioned in a sermon once, and I think it was a David Platt sermon, but I googled him and I bought his book. The front cover said that it was challenging, inspiring, and motivational, and it could not have been more on the spot. I opened it up one night, read the entire book in one sitting, and I was super convicted by its message. The basic idea of the book is a call to action and boldness. It's based on the premise of there being two very different approaches to the Christian life. The true Christian soldier, as Stud calls it, is seeped in courage and boldness, working toward being more mature disciples of Jesus Christ 
and seeking to advance the kingdom of God through sacrificial missional living. Studd says, real Christians revel in desperate ventures for Christ, expecting from God great things and attempting the same with exhilaration. He contrasts this approach by saying, the otherwise Christian is a chocolate Christian, dissolving in water and melting at the smell of fire. Sweeties they are, bonbons, lollipops, living their lives on a glass dish or in a cardboard box, each clad to his soft clothing, a little frilled white paper to preserve his dear little delicate constitution. Stud looked around at his Christian colleagues in England and saw far too many comfortable Christians. They would attend church, talk the church language, and maybe pick a spot here or there to advocate for Christ. But too often, far too often, they refused to engage in the uncomfortable. They refused to engage in the sacrificial lifestyles that denote a true disciple of Jesus. These chocolate Christians were too afraid to be thrown into the fire for fear of melting. Their faith was a fair-weather faith not one hardened by trials. My fear, my conviction, is that American Christianity in particular has been marinated in comfort and prosperity and not seeped in suffering. We are taught to avoid discomfort. With the internet and our ability to pick and choose what we immerse ourselves in, too often I fear we fall into the consumer trap. We pick and choose what we want to hear, how we want to be spoon-fed, and who we're willing to engage with. Through social media, we hide behind faceless statements and refuse to engage in general communication and genuine mission. Sharing a Bible verse on Facebook after going on a political rant doesn't count as evangelism. Waving at your neighbor from inside your car as you pull into your garage door doesn't count as missional living. Sitting in your unofficially assigned seat at a church that never makes you feel uncomfortable and where nobody actually knows your name is not a biblical community. We need to understand the need to step outside of our social circles, our pop culture bubbles, our comfort zones, and engage in gospel conversations with people and groups that God grants us opportunities with. The first step in engagement is hearing and knowing. How are we to be all things to all people, this light to the nations, if we can't stop long enough to listen and learn? The difference between having a conversation with a person and a brick wall is that the brick wall won't tell you anything in response. We see in C.T. Studd's life a gospel hunger to step outside of his comfort zone, listen to the situations of the various cultures he engaged with, respond accordingly with action, and help and then win the ability to speak gospel truths into the lives of the lost and the previously unreached. It was not easy for him, and ultimately it probably cost him a life cut short, but he was a faithful tool that God used to advance the gospel, and because he lived that uncomfortable life, there is greater rejoicing in the kingdom of heaven and more souls won for Christ. most important first step in all of this is to slow down long enough to prayerfully consider what opportunities God has placed before us. Living a life surrendered to God involves acknowledging God can transform our internal lives and our social lifestyles. 
sometimes in drastically uncomfortable ways. Four years ago, if someone would have told me that today, I would have led a middle school Bible study for three years, an adult Bible study for three years, and be starting a Bible study podcast, I would have laughed in their face. When I was first approached about each of these steps, I was, and still am, full of moments of sheer panic and terror. Stepping out into the uncomfortable can feel scary and risky. C.T. Studd's life is a reminder that the security God promises is greater than any scary the world can try to manifest, that the peace God provides is greater than the fears Satan tries to project. C.T. Studd's poem, Jesus Only, begins, I'm going to live for Jesus and fling the world away. I'm going to give to Jesus my life and all today. I've done it, hallelujah, and now I pray the prayer that I may follow Jesus only everywhere. I'm such a great big sinner and still a bigger fool. I must keep close to Jesus and never leave his school. My heart's so full of rapture, I know not how to live. For the joy of being Jesus's, I wish I'd more to give. I hope that this podcast gave you some background on the life of C.T. Studd. If you're interested in reading about him, I recommend the biography C.T. Studd by Norman Grubb. If you're interested in reading books by him, I recommend his own book, Chocolate Soldier. I recommend both these books highly, and I used both of them as heavy references for this episode. Like I said earlier, I opened Stud's book, Chocolate Soldier, late one night, and I finished it the same night. I couldn't put it down until it was done. It convicted me, it brought tears to my eyes, and it led me to a place of prayer and repentance. More than gathering information about an interesting person, though, I hope this episode opens our eyes to God's call for a biblical filter a sacrificial lifestyle, and the need for more gospel-centered conversations. I want to provide some resources here to help with each of these areas. I'll also try to put links to them up on the blog. If you are looking for ways to have more gospel-centered opportunities with people, or if you already have those opportunities but just aren't sure how to start the conversation, then I highly recommend the Three Circles app. I think the app is technically called Life on Mission in the Apple App Store. This app does a wonderful job of walking through steps and it prompts for a gospel-centered dialogue. If you are not being called to mission, but you want to know more about how to pray for Christian missionaries and lost people groups around the world, then I recommend downloading the Joshua Project app. The Joshua Project has a database of all of the unreached, or underreached people groups in the world. These are people and cultures who either have no or extremely limited exposure to the gospel. The app has a different people group highlighted each day, with all sorts of details about that group. It covers their locations, demographics, the percentage of them that are Christians, if there's any at all, whether the group has access to the Bible written in their own native language, what the missionaries say are the biggest obstacle to gospel encouragement, and then at the bottom it outlines the prayer needs for that group. My son and I started doing this periodically. It has been really eye-opening for me to work through. The last resource I want to provide is for those who might be prayerfully considering international mission work. 
The IMB, the International Mission Board, is a great resource for finding out how and where you might be able to get engaged on the international mission field with unreached people groups. The IMB sends people to engage with men and women who have very little chance of having ever heard the message of the gospel apart from these missionaries. Next episode, we'll resume our regular Bible series. If you haven't already, please take a look at us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Keep up to date on all of our latest material. Scripture quotations were from the World English Bible Translation, which is in the public domain. Until next time, I love y'all.